morning, Crosswinds. Um, I am just um, in awe of God and his presence, which is in this place. And I, I don't want to rush into the next section because God is a God of victory. God is a God of power. God is a God of salvation. God is a God of transformation. And whatever you came in this room with this morning, you can leave with something different. And that's that's what we hope will happen this morning. Um, good morning. Glad you guys are here. Um, we've just had just incredible time in God's presence. And now we just need to focus our hearts and our minds to what he has to share with us in the scriptures this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ronnie. I'm part of the teaching team here. And it's my privilege and my honor to be opening the word this morning. Uh, so growing up, I loved school. Like I, I was one of those nerd types. I loved just everything about school. I love learning. I love academics. Um, in fact, um, growing up, some of my favorite books um, were from the new book of knowledge encyclopedia set. <laughs> yep. Ronnie read the encyclopedia for kicks and giggles because that's the sort of weird kid I was. But I just loved uh, just grabbing a random encyclopedia out of the stack of the set and just opening it up and just reading something completely new and exciting. And it was just, I just loved gaining knowledge. I also loved like uh, gaining knowledge about how to do things. Like my dad is an incredible handyman. He could take just about anything that is broken, pull it apart, figure out what's wrong with it, put it, fix it, put it back together and it works better than it did when it originally came to him type of thing. And I just, it didn't matter um, what it was. And I just loved being around him, uh, whether he was fixing our, our lawnmower or our AC unit or our 1970 Pontiac Le Mans. Like, I just loved being in his presence because my dad just knew so much about so many things. And then now we live in a day and age where we have hundreds of thousands of books and videos, podcasts, and websites at our fingertips, and we can access all of this information in a matter of seconds. In fact, if you Google how to make French toast, in 0.4 seconds, you can get 238 million results. Like, I didn't know there was that many ways to make French toast, right? But, but you know, we have just all of this access to instant information, all of this access all of this information right at our fingertips. And sometimes it can still feel like we don't know. Like there's so much that we just don't know. And part of that is because we live in a world of chaos. We live in a world that is constantly shifting. We live in a world where it, there's relativity, where, where there seems to be no absolutes. And it's because of that that we can often feel like there's much that we do not know. And to be honest, regardless of how smart you are or how smart you think you are, there just is a lot of information that we don't know. Like a sloth can hold its, uh, its breath for 40 minutes, which is longer than a porpoise or a dolphin, or that the 17th digit of pi is three, or how to say hello in almost 7,000 languages that exist on our planet. There's just this mountainous amount of data and information that we, most of us, simply do not know. And then when it comes to the bigger questions of life, who am I? Why am I here? Is God real? What's my purpose? And what's at the end of my life? We have often struggled or we continue to struggle to come up with concrete answers. And that's part of the reason why we've been studying through 1 John. 
that you may know. Well, well, what are the things that we can know, Ronnie? Well, that's a great question. So let's start this morning by reviewing some of the things that we have discovered over the past several weeks. In 1 John chapter 1, we know that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is God in the flesh. He is perfect. He is holy. He died a criminal's death on a cross. He was buried, but three days later, he rose again. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he will come back in... in the future to judge the living and the dead. That is who Jesus is. And we know that by acknowledging who Jesus is and yielding to this truth, that that is the beginning of a relationship with him. Amen. And then in John, 1 John chapter 2, we know that we are to strive to live like Jesus, that we're to be obedient to God's commands, and that we are not to love this world, but that we're to remain faithful to the things that we have been taught. And then in chapter three, we unpack the truth that we know that Jesus came to take away the sins. And as a result, we know that we are to live as children of God. And in chapter four, we know that we are to walk in discernment. That, that not following the claims of the world, but relying on the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is. And then we also know that we are to walk in this extreme love that Pastor Dave talked about last week. This love that pushes us out of our comfort zone so that we can care for others so that they might see God which ties into what we can know from scripture this morning. And there are actually two truths that we're gonna look at this morning, two truths that serve almost as bookends to our passage this morning, and they are these. Number one, that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And number two, that everyone who has the Son has life. Now, I'm going to read those two things again because, because they are the bottom line for our time together this morning. And they're these, these two truths. Everyone who, ha who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who has the Son has life. So let's unpack that together. We're going to uh, dig into 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, if you will, follow along in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen behind me. 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. And it says this. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this 
are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Now, one of the things I appreciate most about John is just how straightforward he is in his writings. There's not this sense of, hmm, I wonder what John means by that. No, it's super straightforward. We don't have to read between the lines. And he gets straight to the point. And he starts off this passage with a simple yet profound truth. And he says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Not some people not some select few, not only the rich, not only the smart, not only those people who have their act together. No, everyone has the same opportunity, the opportunity to become a child of God. And what do we know to be true about being a child of God? It means that we are loved unconditionally. It means that we are adopted. It means that we have had our sins forgiven and a right relationship with God restored. It means we have full access to the Father and all of his wisdom and power and strength. It means that we, have, uh, we can ask for anything in Jesus' name. It means that we are heirs to the kingdom of God. And that's just the short list of what is our inheritance as children of God. And according to our text, that is available to everyone. But there's a catch. There's one condition that first must be met before we can be called a child of God. And it's this. We must believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I want us to pause just real quickly because there's a really little word in here that a lot of us just kind of skim right over. I know I did, but there's a really important word here. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. This is a specific, concrete, tangible belief. It's not some woo-woo, wah-wah belief, some, some anyone, anyone, there, whoever, whatever, something that's changing from day to day to day. No, this is a concrete, tangible, specific belief that Jesus is the Christ. It's not, it's not that Jesus was a good man. It's not that Jesus was just some nice teacher or that he was a good order or that he was some miracle working wonder. No, this is the belief of who Jesus Christ is, that he is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is the one who came to save us from our sin and purchase for us access to God the Father so that we might become a child of God. Jesus is the tangible, concrete object of our faith. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. And from this one verse alone, this one verse alone, we know that we are children of God. We know that this position is available to all who believe. And we know that this belief is a tangible faith in Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. But John continues. He continues with, with this, these words. He says, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What John outlines here is that once we become children of God, there's this natural outflow that is evidence of our faith. If we love the Father, we will love his children too. This is what Pastor Dave taught last week, that the Bible is full of admonition uh, for us to love with an agape sort of love, an extreme, immeasurable, uh, inexhaustible sort of love, a love that, that goes beyond just feeling to actually action, to actually doing something, to care for someone so that that person might see God. And then... In this passage, what John does is he adds one more detail, one more condition, because he ties together loving others with loving God. Once again, it's just very clear, very simple. It's a good reminder that if we are God's children, then we will love his people and we will love him. And how we will know that we love him is whether or not we obey his commandments. The evidence of our faith is when we do what God has told us to do. It's like this. Um, many of you in here have kids, right? Like, like, okay. So my husband and I, we have six kids. And in a house that large, there, was, there were many, many times where, you know, I would say, hey, I need your help to do this. Or, hey, child, can you go do this or, or that? And for the most part, my kids are pretty compliant. Um, they're really, really good kids, like, like almost perfect kids. But, uh, but every once in a while, you know, there would be this one um, or two, you know, they just argue or complain or whine, you know? And, and it would be like, no, child. I'm sorry, you cannot go ride your bike in the dark in our busy street. It's not because I was being a killjoy. It's because I was watching out for that kid's best interest, right? Or I'd have another kid who'd be like, do I have to brush my teeth again? Yes, please go brush your teeth and don't whine about it because it's for their benefit. And we chuckle at those examples. But the ironic thing is, is that we can sometimes be like that with our father, God, too. That he asks us to live a certain way, and we argue, or we complain about it, or we seek to find a way out of it, or we seek to justify why we should continue to do it the way that we want to do it, even though God's word tells us something differently. And, and all the while, God is just calling us to live out his commands, not because the commands are burdensome, but because the commands are there for our benefit. And not only for our benefit, yes, they help protect us, they help guide us, they help shape us into righteousness, but his commands are also to assist us in becoming everything that he has created us to be so that we can share his love with others so that they too can become children of God if they believe. So we're called to believe. And the object of our faith is this tangible faith in Jesus the Christ. The evidence of our faith is our love for others and our love for God proven by our obedience to his commands. And the promise that we have is that we have victory. Here's the cool thing. God defeats the evil world. We have the victory. 
We have victory over our enemies. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 4 says, For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies and he will give you victory. We have victory over those who oppose us. Romans 8 says, uh, if, uh, for, I'm sorry, Romans 8 says, If God is for us, who could ever be against us? We have victory over sin and temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And then the ultimate victory, the ultimate victory is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can know that we are children of God. We can know our love for God through our obedience to his commands, and we can know that we have victory over this evil world. And who has the victory? Those who believe that Jesus is God's son. Like I said earlier, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus was a good man who did some good things, who hung on a cross. Because the reality is that most other religions believe those same things, those same characteristics about Jesus. Muslims Buddhists, Hindus, they all acknowledge that Jesus was a good man who taught some good things and who sacrificed himself for the betterment of society. But the difference between those religions and what we believe is that they all lack the belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that he is the son of God. You see, because it's that truth, that peace, that Jesus is the Son of God, that a lot of people get hung up in believing in Jesus. And so John addresses it. You see, in John's time, there were people that were saying that Jesus was only a man, that he kind of had God's spirit upon him while he was living, but then, you know, that was kind of it. But, but John, he says um, in here um, that, that we can believe, and this is what he says. He says, and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding the blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Here John states that we can know that Jesus is God's son by a couple of things. First, by his baptism in water, and second, by his death on the cross. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter three. We're gonna go to Matthew chapter three. And we're gonna be in verse 13. And again, it'll be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter three, verse 13. It says this, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized 
by John. Okay, this is John the Baptist, not John the writer of the letter that we're reading, but this is talking about John the Baptist. He was uh, down by the Jordan River and he was telling people, hey, look, uh, the kingdom of God is near. You need to repent from your sins and be baptized. And so, uh, so we pick it up in verse 14. Uh, so Jesus went down to the river to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. You see, when Jesus was baptized, it wasn't because he, was, he had sinned and he needed to repent like all the other people who had come to see John at the river. No, Jesus was without sin. But because he wanted to completely identify with sinful humanity, he submitted himself to the act of baptism. It, it was kind of his way of saying, I'm one of you. I'm truly human. And yet, in the moment that Jesus came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended on Jesus, anointed him for ministry that God had sent him on the earth to take care of. And, and in that moment, in the final act of, a, of attesting to who Jesus was, we see God speaking from heaven saying, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And in this moment, we see Jesus the Holy Spirit and God, all three present, proclaiming for all of us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. And then later, later, when Jesus died on the cross, he did it not because, again, not because he was sinful and deserved the punishment. No, but instead he laid down his life so that he could identify with all of us in humanity, so that he could save us from our sin. By shedding his blood, he stood in our place as guilty, and he took the punishment that we all deserved. And the Bible records that when Jesus breathed his last, that the curtain in the temple tore in two, the earth shook, and Jesus gave up his spirit as his blood poured out. And so John writes in chapter 5 here that it's the water of Jesus' baptism, that it's the, the blood that was flowed at crucifixion, and it's the testimony of the Holy Spirit, all saying the same thing that proves that Jesus is the Son of God. And so John makes this claim. He says, since you believe human testimony, basically if you believe what I'm telling you, then shouldn't you by nature believe what God is testifying about his son Jesus? He says, basically, if you can believe your friends and what your friends are telling you, certainly you can believe what God says about Jesus. In fact, John shares that for those of us who do believe, we have an assurance in our hearts that these things are true. But then John also addresses those who don't believe. He calls them out to their unbelief to the point of stating that those who do not believe these things are actually calling God a liar and in essence saying that God cannot be trusted. And so John finishes out this section by restating what we know to be true. Verse 11, 
And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And I personally love the promises that are found in these two verses. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That fills me with such great hope and joy. You know why? Because I know what's at the end of my life. I know when I die that I have eternal life in Jesus Christ with God the Father. Yes, right, right? But here's the other cool thing. It's not just something down the road when I die. No, Jesus came to give us life in the here and now. You see, you see, because because in, he's given us real life. In this word, it's, it's so weird because in the English, we have this word and it's life. But in the Greek, it's this word zoe. And the word zoe, yes, has this connotation of some uh, future, spiritual, a- eternal connotation. But it also has the dual connotation of present here right now. There's a verse in John chapter 10 where Jesus talks about the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life, zoe, that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And that, again, that word in the Greek, abundant, means more extravagant, exceedingly, abundantly, just like over and beyond. So Jesus comes not only to purchase for us eternal life, but comes to give us life in the here and now that is more extravagant, abundant, and all those things. That's the sort of existence that we can have. We can have a life full of hope and joy and peace and certainty and love and calling, and it's all ours. All we have to do is believe. Which brings me back around to the bottom line for this morning. It's these two things. That everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who has the Son has life. Now I know that I said that these are the two truths and the bottom line for this morning. But there's actually a third truth that we need to explore. It's a corollary to the second. It's the last thing that John writes in this section. He says, whoever does not have God's son does not have life. That is the reason for this message this morning. This is why this message is so important. We live in a broken and dying world. We live in a world where people chase after a million truths trying to find the real truth. We live in a world where people are just lost and wandering trying to find fulfillment in all kinds of things that will never bring them fulfillment. We live in a society where people have lost their mooring and they refuse to come back to who God is so that they can find what they need. And the reality is, is that if they do not meet Jesus, they will spend an eternity separated from him in a place called hell. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about loving our neighbors with an extravagant sort of love of meeting their needs physically, emotionally. But I would, I would say that in addition to that, 
we can't just meet their physical and emotional needs, but we must meet their spiritual needs by introducing them to Jesus Christ. Earlier we saw how God says that we love him by keeping his commandments. Well, he has commanded us to share the gospel. Before he left this earth, Jesus told his followers to go into the world uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach these new disciples everything that I've commanded you. And be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have a mission to preach the word, to make disciples, and to care for others. And part of how we do that is by sharing the gospel unashamedly. Romans 1.16 says it this way, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Church, we have work to do. Yes, it's good, it's proper, it's necessary for us to look at scripture and to understand these foundational truths of who we are and what we can know. But it's not just enough to simply know these things in our brain or even to know them in our hearts unless we go and we do something with that and we share that with others. We have to be introducing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone. Our challenge last week was to love exceptionally, to extreme love our neighbors. Our challenge this week is, who can you share the gospel with? Who can you introduce to Jesus Christ? And you might think, well, Ronnie, I have no idea how to do that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Start a conversation. And then in the midst of that conversation, share who Jesus is for you and what he has done in your life and share with them the hope and the joy and the security that you have and then show them that they can have that too and invite them into a relationship with Jesus and then let him do the rest. So as we close, uh, I actually have two action steps for you. And the first is this. If you do not yet have a relationship with Christ, then, then today's challenge is, is to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've heard the word. Jesus is the Christ. He died on a cross to forgive you of your sins. And all you have to do is to come into a right relationship with him, is to say, Jesus, I believe. Forgive me for my sins and give me life eternal and life in the here and now. So if that describes you, what I want you to do is during this last song, I want you just to take some time and just thank God for the truth that you've known today. And then ask God to forgive you of your sins and start a new life in you. Salvation can be yours today. And number two, for many of you in here, you are already believers in Christ. You are already following hard after God. And so your challenge this morning during this last song is to just reflect on who God is and what he's done for you. And then ask him for one name. God, who is it that you want me to share the gospel with? And then pray for that person. And pray for the courage and the opportunity 
to share the truth that you know with somebody who does not know it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and what we find in it. And God, um, I thank you that we can know that we are children of God. We can know that we can have salvation by believing in your son, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. God, thank you that we can know that we have victory over, over everything, over our enemies, over those who oppose us, over sin, over temptation, and even over death. And thank you, Father, for the command that you've given us to share that with the world around us. Father, during this, uh, during this next section, I pray that your spirit will move. God, if there's anybody in this room who does not yet have a relationship with you, who has not yet submitted or yielded their hearts to you, God, I pray that you would break through, that you would break the last hold and give them the courage to step out in faith to say yes to you. Father, for those in in this room who are struggling and need encouragement and reminder of what is theirs as children of God, that theirs is the victory, God, I pray that you would speak to them. And God, for most of us here who have this information, who have this knowledge, who are following hard after you, God, give us the courage and the boldness and the opportunity this week to share your love, not just not just physically, but spiritually with somebody else, by having a conversation and sharing the gospel. Give us boldness that we would unashamedly share the good news of who Jesus Christ is. Thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for being here, for your presence. And God, thank you for all that you want to do in and through us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.